Wow, it has been so good to worship the Lord and proclaim his majesty and glory. You know, that song that we just sang or heard from the choir, sang together, really has become kind of an anthem. I don't know how many times I've heard that song in this sanctuary. Let it be so, amen? The majesty and glory of his name. You know, when I was a little boy, uh, I remember um, wrestling with my dad. When I was really little, I thought my dad was giant. Now, he was pretty tall. And then I became a father two girls and a son, and particularly with Travis, my son, when he was really little, we used to wrestle, wrestle on the floor. You know, I I could, um, I could pick him up, take him anywhere I wanted to. He could jump off of a sofa, you know, off the turnbuckle and, you know, do anything. He could try to do anything to me and it wouldn't bother me at all, right? I could put him in the airplane position, laying on my back, you know, we've done that, right? But he, he would, we'd wrestle and he'd get a little bit older and then I would, I would get him down. I'd hold him and, okay, uncle, say uncle. You know, and when he'd get older, he didn't want to stop. He, he wanted to keep going and say, come on, come on. Like, you know, you need to tap out. You, you need to give up. Who's got you? Who's got you? And you're dead, you got me. Okay, good, I'm out. Well, then he gets a little older, um, not so much. Like today, I don't want him jumping on me, right? I don't want him grabbing me, even though I I have old man strength now, okay? Uh, Like my dad, I think my dad had that farm strong strength uh, back in the day. But you know, we get older and you start to realize there's a lot of different ways to measure power. When you're a young dad, you're like Superman. Um, And then you grow up and you realize, well, there's a lot of different ways to measure power. I could say there's two ways to measure power. One is to see it in action. Uh, you, you know, any boy mom here knows you put your little boy in front of a uh, construction site, let him watch some tractors at work, some big cranes or trucks move. He's set for the day, right? Little boys in particular are, are obsessed with power. You can see power at work in a, how about a weightlifter? Uh, bench pressing 700 pounds has been done. Deadlifting 1,000 pounds has been done. Now these kind of expressions of worldly strength are pretty impressive. Watch a rocket ship take off, right? Defying gravity. If you've ever been to NASCAR, watch a car go by you at 200 miles an hour. That's power. And you think, wow, this is amazing. But there are other ways to measure power in our world. When I think of the power of love in relationships, for instance, when, when I think of power in, in, in the, the love of others, as we've even talked about today, there's power in the universe. But we can also measure power by seeing the effects of its absence. How about the absence of love in relationship? How about the absence of a loving father in the home or a loving mother or destructive power So power can be seen in action, but it also can be felt and measured in its absence. So I want to ask you, have you felt a little absence of power in your life in these days? Have you felt weak and fragile in your life? I think we all have. And maybe even more acutely in this past year, this big, changing, challenging world and a pandemic that constantly reminds us how weak and fragile we are. And so today what we're going to do is consider the power of God. Now, now in a context of worship like this, which this whole service has been designed to say, let's, let's consider the majesty and the glory, the power of God. But if you're like me, I have struggled to understand how is it that his power, okay, you've convinced me, he's amazing, 
He's incredible. He's beyond me. But how does his power, how does that impact my life? You ever struggle to bridge the gap, to really appropriate his power in your life? I think all of us have. And today we're going to get some answers to those questions and others out of Psalm 8. So I want you to turn to Psalm 8. In fact, the anthem we just heard from the choir is built around, drawn from Psalm 8. Turn to Psalm 8. We're going to get some answers. And what I want you to see here is that we're going to look at three things that God's strength does that you can rely on. Three things, three things that his strength, his power does in our lives that we can count on every day. I want you to see that his power creates his power cultivates and his power commissions. So first, his, his power creates Psalm 8, verse 1. Now, before I get there, you know, this may seem self-evident. For those of us who worship the one true God and believe that God created all things, this is evident. He is creator. People ask me, Jeff, how do you know that God exists? I say, well, because you do. I mean, look around, Right? And what, what, you know, the, the challenge, the atheist, uh, though still a small percentage of people in the world yet growing in the modern West and growing in our day, two common objections that I see towards theism or towards the existence of God. One is the problem of evil and suffering. The other is, is the, the, the arguments in favor of naturalism. That is that everything can be dis- explained or described in natural causes and properties you in the, in the atheist mind you don't need god it's all about the laws of nature but here's where i go with that uh i don't need science or the bible to talk about the existence of god uh, i could say science i suppose but it's really logic it's aristotelian logic it's causality right cause and effect we've talked about this before for every effect there has to be a cause you don't get something from nothing that's scientifically, you want to go science? Scientifically impossible. You don't get living matter from non-living matter. Impossible. Let's talk science. And so if we can at least have the intellectually honest atheist concede that, okay, I don't see scientific evidence that there is a God, but I would have to challenge you to say, listen, yours is a faith proposition as well. You can't prove that God exists scientifically, but you can't prove that he doesn't. In fact, you have to see that all things that exist came from something. There ultimately is an uncaused cause. And if I can get you there, then can I point you to the God of the Bible? And today we're going to do just that. In fact, to say that atheism is a faith proposition is what what, uh, drew Norman Geisler to write a classic book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to to Be an Atheist. Because he's saying it takes faith either way and the theist has to concede. It's, It's a faith decision. And yet, I would argue we've got a lot more on our side than the atheist. In fact, this is what David gets to in Psalm 8. Look at Psalm 8, verse 1. Oh, Lord, our Lord, we heard it sung. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now, it's important to note here that, that uh, the existence of God is assumed in the Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There's not this great argument or debate in the Bible. 
It's assumed because he reveals himself, it's cause and effect. God created everything, there's God. Let's start from there, right? He's revealing himself in all of creation. The only definitive word really about atheism in the Bible is found in Proverbs 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Just foolish to just even not, not even jump from cause and effect. In fact, A.W. Tozer explains our problem today, written in 1963. He writes this in The Knowledge of the Holy. The idea that God reveals himself in creation is not held with much vigor, not even by modern Christians, but it is nevertheless set forth in the inspired word of God. He says, especially in the Psalms, of course, Paul runs to this as well. He goes on, science has done much for us, but it is poor science that would hide from us the great, deep, sacred infinitude of nescience, not a word I use often, had to look it up. It's not knowing, it's transcendent, it's incomprehensible. He's saying science that hides us from the truth is not pure science. He says in all our science, secularism, naturalism, and materialism, we cover our deep ignorance with words, but we are ashamed to wonder, we are afraid to whisper mystery. We will not humble ourselves. And so, again, as theists, as those who believe in God, we must humble ourselves and admit, yes, it is still faith. It is still faith. And as we see often, praise God, it's faith and not our works or efforts to get to him because we cannot. But it's through creation that he primarily reveals his omnipotence. Think about it. Theologian, commentator Thomas Oden, he writes this. How could God be perceived as omnipotent without a world through which the divine influence is everywhere felt. It's primarily in the arena of creation that God reveals himself. He reveals his power is without end. Think about this just for a moment. There are billions of galaxies in the universe with billions of stars in every galaxy. Our little Milky Way, our neighborhood, has 300 billion stars. I don't know who counted them, but 300 billion. We start to get into, it, 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 there, there are trillions of stars in what now science, scientists call the observable universe. And now science, we've conceded that the only thing keeping us from exploring the universe is our inability to do so. What is God showing? Why didn't he end with a billion stars? I mean, we go, whoo, billion stars. We can't even get our minds around that. Trillions, even trillions of stars. Why did he keep going? He's revealing how great he is. We talk about his omnipotence from the Latin word where we get our English word almighty is what we see in the Bible. The word almighty is used 56 times in the English Bible. And it describes how God is, we've talked about this, eternal in time, but he's infinite in all of his ways. This is worth talking about. This is worth thinking about. We said it last week that he is not just qualitatively, uh, quantitatively bigger, qualitatively bigger. 
This is to say, well, he, in, and for our focus today, he's, whew, he's strong. I'm glad he's really strong. He's stronger than my dad. He's a lot stronger than, than, no, 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 no. Whatever he is, he is to a boundless degree. He is infinitely strong. It takes him no effort to do anything. And he doesn't lose any energy by doing anything that he needs to, to you know, to, to get back. He, he does everything, how about this, without effort. This is the God we worship. He can do anything. His strength is not lost or needs to be replenished in any way. We also say, well, he's knowledgeable. He's, um, uh, he, he's, he's omniscient. He's really smart. No, he's, he's, he, does, he knows everything. You can't teach him something he doesn't know. You can't show him something he hasn't already seen. He stands outside of time. And watch this. None of his attributes, all of his eternal attributes, none of them contradict the others. He is a perfect, holy God. And last week we talked about the tension then as we worship him. He's transcendent. He's incomprehensible. He, he should blow our minds. And yet he is somehow imminent. He's come to us and he's present right now in your life. And every moment of your life this week, today, he is present in your life, this all-powerful God. And so our whole hope here as, as, as worship leaders and pastors and my whole hope in this series, you might guess that I think we have lost a sense of majesty and awe of God that is beyond we've ever imagined. And you'd be right, we've got to get back to the God of the Bible. When you read scripture, you see the writers knew that God ruled their world. The world was not explained by natural causes, but instead they worshiped God himself as the law of nature. As the one who has created all things. Paul said it this way in, in Romans 1. For his invisible attributes. Namely his eternal power and divine nature. Have been clearly perceived. He's saying it's clear. To everyone that would look. Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This is where Paul says the, the atheist is constantly suppressing the idea, pushing the idea of God out of their minds. I've likened it to the guy that went out and bought himself a new boomerang. He about killed himself trying to throw away the old one. There is no God. There is a God. There is no God. A baby's born. There is God. There's no God. Look at the sunset. Look at the. There is a God. God is constantly coming after us. Yes, even the atheists, even those who are turning away from him. He's transcendent. But look at this. David wants to see. No, he's imminent. He's close by. He's even small. Look at verse two. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, we have established strength. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This, now, lots is said here, but he's, he's in essence saying that his presence is revealed in the smallest, weakest ways. I mean, all of us have seen a newborn baby, see the power of God in a newborn baby. But he's saying here, he can use even the baby. He can use the weakest of things in the world. In fact, he loves to go to the smallest, weakest things on earth to accomplish the greatest things. 
even those who would come against him to, to stop our enemies, those who would seek vengeance, the power of a baby can end that. We see this most perfectly in the incarnation. Jesus, the most powerful, the one with all authority, is born as a baby to change the world and to stop the enemies of God, even transform their hearts. A couple of applications here. One is the answer to the question, how does his power come into play in my life? Listen, friends, he is at work in your puny little weak life. He loves you. He's created you in the midst of your greatest challenges. And how about this? Your greatest weaknesses and struggles. He is at work in your life, but he continues to create and to work. He delegates his power, as we'll see today. He gives us his power, literally to procreate, to join him as co-creators, but literally every day of our lives, surrendering to him our weakness, we give to him and he makes us strong. He wants to come into your life today and transform whatever you're struggling with and know that he's right there with you. His power creates and he's still creating. Watch this. His power cultivates. God isn't just creating and sustaining and and, and he's also growing and developing. He's at work always to shape and form and move all things to his glorious end. We're going to talk about this next week. Look at verse three. When I look at the heavens, your heavens, he says, the work of your fingers, David's noting, your fingers created all this. Just your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place. He's seeing the expanse of God's care, the expanse of his universe. I imagine him just looking up into the heavens, maybe at night. He's seeing the stars in a place where there are no lights and it's so clear to him. He doesn't know what we now know, but he knows God created all of it but he's also seeing his tender care in creation you've set it in place and and you're you're intimately involved there's grace that is seen in his creation Jesus in Matthew 5 is teaching on enemy love the most powerful kind of transforming love and power in the universe you could argue and he's teaching on enemy love and he points to God's cultivation of creation as part of the reason we do so. Look at what he says in Matthew 5, 45. So that you may be sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's saying, be like him. God loves everyone. As we've talked about even today, just for the common good of every person we live our lives. For the joy, for the righteousness and justice, the grace, the cultivation of our city and of all of our friends and everyone we encounter, he's watching over his creation. It's why in the book of Job, he takes Job, you might remember, on a kind of virtual tour. Uh, We're going to look at it a little bit next week in Job 38 through 40. And and he, he says this, he says he brings rain in Job 38, 26 on a land where no man lives on the desert in which there is no man. Think about that. God brings forth some of the most beautiful images, most beautiful flowers on the planet that no man will ever see. God right now is watching the beauty of the earth from the backside of Jupiter. 
Right now, I'm guessing there's a cub that's being born somewhere up in the Rocky Mountains or up in the Himalayas or who knows where. God is watching, cultivating, caring for every bit of it. There's a tiny little freshly hatched turtle that's trying to make its way across the beach to the ocean right now somewhere on the planet. There's a baby being born right now in Dallas, Texas. God sees it all. And in the moment, I just think about that. That he sees the most beautiful things that are breathtaking to us. He sees it all the time. And that just makes me incredibly happy for him. That he can see it all. And he's caring for it all. This is the God that you're worshiping. He is the triune God. He goes on to say, then in, in, in the book of, of Colossians, listen, he, he says, hey, listen, this is Jesus we're talking about. He's the one. Colossians reminds us, this God is a triune God. He, he, he's the image of the invisible God. He, he's the one who has come to us. See, we know God through creation. We know him through his word and we know him through Jesus Christ for by him, through him, for him, all things were created. And then it says that he holds all things together, Colossians 1.17. Friends, listen, this is true in your life. This is not just about natural laws. God is at work in your life. He is drawing you to him constantly. In Christ, we see God in high definition. And as you pursue him, you see him clearer and clearer. Faith precedes reason. And as you follow him by faith, you see him more clearly. He's 4K. I discovered this week, there's such thing as 16K resolution. Had no idea. I mean, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you walk, the more clearly you see who he is. As you move closer to him and walk with him. Are you walking with him every day? Are you in his word? Are you pursuing him in prayer? He holds your life in his hands. Friends, listen. He's not just at the beginning. He's not just at the end. He's right here in the middle. He's right here in your life, holding all things in your life. He sees your tomorrows just as clear as he sees your yesterdays. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's holding your life in his hand. He is Jehovah in the middle. He's the provider in the middle. This is the God we trust, the one we worship. He's not just at the end and the, the beginning. He's holding it all together, every detail of your life. And so David says, when I consider this, when I know how awesome you are, look at verse four, what is man? Who am I? You see how getting right-sized before God puts us in our place right where we belong. But watch this, not just to beat us down or to, right, choke hold, who's got you? Who's got you? Give up, surrender. There's some of that going on. That's what, that's what he's doing with Job in, in, in Job 38. He's saying, Job, who's your daddy? I'm your daddy. Who's got you? Who's got you? Surrender, tap out, tap out. Okay, I'm done. Now I can work with you. Many of us need to tap out today. We need to give up. We need to surrender. Stop trying to be God. Then you'll see how awesome he is. And this is what David does. Look at this in verse four. Who am I? Who is the son of man that you would care for him? He's standing in awe. And he's thinking, how insignificant am I? 
But then he's blown away because we're not insignificant. Who's, who are we that God would pay attention to? Mindful means like focus in on us and even more so care for us. But look, anyone who's in Christ, you are a new creature. He's creating you into what he has created you to be. He's forming, he's cultivating his creation and he's doing it in you. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. But clearly we have distorted his power in our lives. We've seen it in recent days. You see, his power is not just greater, greater, it's categorically different. We've said it lately that, you know, the book of Proverbs, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 7, it says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in the power of this world, institutions or political parties or whatever else. But we trust in the name that is above every name. We trust in the name of the Lord our God and his name is Jesus. Now, Philippians 4.13 is one of these verses we like to pull out of context, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go to the gym, see somebody wearing that. I can bench press this because of Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can get a new job because Christ strengthens me. I can run fast. I can jump higher. I can, I, I can get more money. I can, I can move to this position. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that in, his, in the context, he's saying, no, the joy of my life, the strength of my life comes out of right relationship with Jesus, regardless of what happens in my life. Even when all of those things are gone, I have strengthened him. My power comes through weakness. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12. Maybe you know this passage. But he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to you, to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power, there's the word, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, friends, look, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is an act of faith, isn't it? To say that true strength comes through the way of humility, through the way of weakness, through the way of enemy love, self-denial. Not trying to power up on everybody else. This is an upside down kingdom. This is power inverted and this is a good week to remember where true power comes from. We will transform a culture, a nation, through humility before God, through service and self-denial. That's how it happens. And so his power creates, his power cultivates, and finally we'll close with his power commissions. Rather than being relegated to insignificance, we are given power to rule and reign in God's beautiful world. This is power when he says you're a co-creator, you're a culture maker, and he's commissioned us to do so. Look at what he says in verse five. Yet you've made him, you've made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. His power transforms us now to co-laborers with him. This is amazing. We get to join almighty God in what he's doing. 
Look at verse six. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all, all sheep and oxen and all, also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. He's basically saying, I mean, everything, everything you've given him power over all things that have been created. Here we move from insignificance to discover our place of great significance in the created order. And there's an order. God first. He has dominion over all things. You might say, well, well I thought God was all powerful. What's, what's going on here? He's delegating his power. And, and of course, power is a wonderful, dangerous thing for anyone to have power. We see it all the time, right? That's why integrity matters in leadership or anyone. And we've all been given certain cultural power that we can leverage for the good of others or for ourselves to the glory of God to the glory of self. So brothers and sisters, you have a place in the created order. He's designed you specifically. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship. We're his artwork. We're his handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are on this planet created by God by his divine design to be who you are. There's only one you, uniquely created by him. You are his artwork, you're his masterpiece so that you can show the world who he is to do his bidding. It's like a patron uh, who commissions an artist, gives them the tools, gives them the resources, materials, all that they need, commissions them. Now, now do something glorious with this. I know you have it in you. Do something amazing. This is what God has done for each of us. He's given us all that we need to join him. And the most powerful thing that we all can do is to be creative in the ways that we love others. The most powerful force in the universe is love. One of many, Dr. King's famous lines, I love as he talks about the power of love, he says, I have decided to stick with love. In the midst of so many people coming after him, death threats on his life. He says, hate is too great a burden to bear. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Who do you need to love in your life? Oh, but Jeff, you don't know the, no, 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 no. Who do you need to love? Trust in God, the power of love in relationships. And so he commissions us to go forth. And then he gives us the greatest commission to go and to make disciples so that others will join us under his divine reign and rule, find our place in the world, and then be those who are culture makers, who co-creators, who join God in spreading his love to the ends of the earth. So David ends as he began. And I want us to say this together in verse nine. Can we say it together? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Just right where you are, I want you to bow your head close your eyes. You may be there at home or somewhere where you can just close your eyes to stay focused. You may be thinking along with me, who am I? Who am I? That he would think of me. 
And friend, you need to be reminded today that when Jesus died on that cross, took upon himself the punishment that should have been yours, should have been mine. Of all the faces that cross through the divine mind of God in that moment, one of them was yours. Who are you? You are loved by God. So much so that he's reached down to come to you. This transcendent God has made himself imminent. He's come close to pay the price for your sin through his one and only son. If you've never received his grace, do it today. Say, Lord, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I give you my life. Forgiven. Graced by your love. You are valuable to him, friend. Experience the joy of serving him as your creator, as your savior. Lord, we commit ourselves anew, all of us here in this place, watching online, we all say now, I am yours. I surrender to you my life. Lord, may my life bring glory and honor to you in everything I do. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.